Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landau. Savages. This is part one of our Gen Con 2016 coverage. In part one is a panel on gaming with kids. If you've ever thought about playing RPGs with your kids or trying to start a gaming club for kids, hopefully you'll find this very interesting. Sound quality on these is not the best. They were recorded live at Gen Con, but I hope you enjoy them. In part two, I'll have a number of short interviews that I did during Gen Con. Thanks for listening. Alrighty, guys, I think I'm going to start. Uh, I'm Darcy Ross. I'm the moderator of this fabulous contestant panel that you are all going to be able to uh, ask questions of these fabulous panelists and learn all about uh, designing, playing, um, and uh, teaching kids to play RPGs um, with you and for each other, and it's going to be fabulous. So um, without further ado, uh, so let me tell you a little bit about the format. So uh, we're going to hit a couple um, sort of topics that we've heard people asking a lot about this, and so they're kind of from the the description, and then uh, at the halfway mark, I'm going to, um, hopefully, we will have gotten through them, uh, and it'll be great, and then I'll move to sort of some, some of your questions, and if you don't have any more, I have tons of questions, because I just found out that I'm going to be in charge of a, running a kids group at a local uh, middle school, so, so you're what? training me, so, they, so ask all the good questions that I wouldn't even think to ask, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you so much for coming, I really, really appreciate it. Hello. Um, so, if you're all good, I'm going to introduce our panelists, and then we're going to uh, throw, throw, uh, dive right into this. So, we have, on my right, uh, James August Walls. He's fabulous. You might know him from I Live for Crits, his amazing YouTube channel, which you should definitely look at. Uh, it is also a website, livingforcrits.com. Check it out. Um, his wife, Jennifer, and daughters, Carrie and Evie, are gamers and GMs themselves. His son, Cooper Six, has been RPGing since he was four. So you've got, you know, you've got a lot of experience with this. Together with the help of the family, they founded the Norwin Game Knights, a local Pittsburgh gaming club. So lots of things to be able to ask him. Let, let, the, let that percolate for the questions. Um, on his right is the amazing, the incomparable, no other GM has she co-GM'd with me like that. It is Carrie Walls. She's so um, she's an RPG player, she is a GM, she is an artist, and she has uh, got her own RPG art. Uh, she's so fabulous. She plays uh, Numenera, Savage Worlds, Dungeon Crawl Classics. She is a devious Dungeon Crawl Classics game master. <laughs> she's been playing RPGs since she was five. Um, she's been GMing since 2014, and on Thursday she was my fabulous co-GM for a table full of adults at the big Contessa game night, and she did so well. Uh, she had great voices. I'm, I'll talk about it later because I, I have too much to gush about. Um, and tomorrow she will be co-GMing with uh, her father, uh, Savage World Game. So she's someone to keep an eye out for. Yay! Yay. Carrie's great. And Shauna. We get to Shauna Germain. She is the... Uh, She's from Monty Cook Games, the lead designer of No Thank You Evil, which just won a gold Emmy Award last night for the best of the year. Thank you for other Emmys for best production values for Numenera, so they're great, great people to keep an eye on and are fabulous human beings. Um, I think that covers it, right? <laughs> cool. Uh, so John Harness, uh, he is... Um, the one, the only. Uh, he has personality leaking out of his ears. He is also an artist and an arts educator who runs a weekly after-school uh, RPG club in uh, Hyde Park, Chicago for 9 to 12-year-olds. And he is the founder and moderator of the RPGs uh, for Kids Facebook page, which you should check out because it's uh, pretty active and got, got really great advice and um, resources that are shared there. Uh -huh. So thank you so much. Uh, and then also an Emmy Award like dominating uh, Lynn Hardy. She's no, so I'm, I'm not with Pelgrim. They dominated last night. <laughs> you could if you wanted to. So Lynn Hardy uh, has her fingers in many pots. She's a, a freelance author and editor with many titles to her name. She's uh, worked with uh, Modifius Entertainment, 
um, on Octone Cthulhu, which picked up um, at least one Emmy last night for we, best we, cover. Um, silver for best cover. They, oh, uh, three years running now, actually. Awesome. Silver for best cover. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. And she also uh, is uh, the, the designer of the Tea Time Steampunk Pulp Action Adventure RPG, Cogs, Cakes, and Sword Sticks, um, which, as I recall, was sort of, uh, you, you said was, um, in, at least in an interview that I read, so I'll grill you on this later, <laughs> but uh, was um, intended to be really accessible to new people, especially people who are interested in steampunk, which are clearly great nerds to come seize and uh, make play games with us, and it seems really friendly to a lot of different ages, so yeah. hopefully we'll be able to get into that. Awesome. These are our panelists. Please give a round of applause. They're yeah. great. Yeah. Awesome. So I feel like when I uh, when I ask a lot of people questions about and when I see I've seen a, like a rash of articles online about you know how do we GM with kids how do we play RPGs with kids um, and you seem to get really different advice and then you you clarify and they're like oh for these ages and so there seems to be some differences in the types of advice you would give um, so I was wondering if you guys could clarify or talk a little bit about like how you know how do you see you know age interacting with um, like kids and RPGs so. I, I thought we might be able to like talk to, um, let's see, I was thinking, uh, like, how does it react for designing games with our two um, game designers, um, GMing for kid players, like how do, you, how do you approach it when you're GMing for kids, so uh, John and James, and then training kids, so James and Carrie. Um, but but see, see if that suits you or just give us your opinions, because I think that's a, it's a really fraught question. If you can help us break it down, that'd be great. So where do you want us to start, Darcy? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, why don't we start with design? Shana? Um, Our designers, at least. Yeah, uh, uh, sure. So I think for me, I think I tend to think less in ages and more in sort of uh, mental spaces. And so um, there's sort of the mental space where um, it's very tactile, and there, you know, reading is still kind of a chore and a struggle, and math is still kind of a chore and a struggle. And then there's sort of another mental space where those things are becoming interesting, less of a struggle. You know, sort of part of being the sort of grown-up player in that way, um, and then there's kind of another level where where those things are are captured and they're easy, and and there's a there's a movement toward other uh, other skills. So I kind of think of it in those groups rather than in ages, um, because I think that you know the, the age ranges are are they're helpful, but they're also kind of they, they can put the wrong constraints on a player mm -hmm. if a player is like, no, I know how to read. What are you talking about? Um, and so I feel like for me, I, I, my, my goal is to feel out each player a little bit. Um, not just in terms of what their skill set is, but what their interest is. Like they may be a great reader, but they don't necessarily want to read at the table. They want to interact or they want to spell things out or they want to jump up and down instead. And so for me, it's all about like what, what captivates you and keeps you at the table um, and, and where is your mental space more than your age a little bit. Cool. That's really helpful. Uh, yeah. Lynn, do you have some thoughts? Um, I was incredibly surprised when Cogs was nominated for Best Family Game for the Ennies a couple of years ago because I will admit it wasn't actually designed originally right. as a family yeah. game but it was designed to be accessible to people who'd never gamed before so kind of by accident it became that yeah. too and, and my ethos for that was to make it as simple and as straightforward with the minimum amount of stuff that you needed because a lot of games do need a lot of stuff um, and to keep it small and fast and flexible and to, to stimulate people's imagination so that they were really contributing to the story so that they were leading it and that the, the GM was really just there to facilitate them letting their imagination run absolutely riot. Um, obviously with the steampunk ones, we've um, um, at Steampunks in Space at the Leicester Space Museum last year, we had an entire family from a beautiful little three-year-old who wanted to be Elsa, mm -hmm. all the way up to Gran, uh, create characters as a group together. So her brother was basically Superman, well he was Clark Kent, but nobody <laughs> knew he was Superman, so we did that. And, um, and Dad was um, Princess Elsa's faithful, loyal manservant. So Dad helped <laughs> Elsa oh, nice. create her character. And we, you know, we questioned her about, you know, what, 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 what does Elsa do? What's her favourite thing? So her sword stick skill, which was her physical, was dancing. She's such a great dancer, she loves to dance. So that was, you know, sort of teasing that out. So as you say, talking to them, talking to the children, talking to, well, anyone, and finding out what it is they're interested in and how they want to reflect that. Oh, very cool. Thank you so much. Um, 
if you if you guys don't mind, why don't we talk about uh, you know how you consider aging when you're uh, aging? Uh, if you're aging kids at your table, that's a problem. But uh, why don't we have um, uh, John and James uh, talk about you know they both uh, operated these gaming clubs and sort of you know you've got you've seen a lot of different kids move through this. So how what, how do you consider it? Well, uh, I, I when I first came to Gen Con and I, a few years ago. Uh, I was interested in the, the age gap because you have like 6 and up I think 13 and up and uh, there's actually such a wide group of strata between 6 and 13 that's sort of left out there uh, and you know I, I do look at ages a little bit because I mean parents give me age questions in the club we have but you know a 4, 5 and 6 year old is going to play different from a 8 you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old, and and by ten they can start delving into adult games. Maybe so it is different, as Shauna said, for every child. But in general, you have like three sections in there where you can bring kids in different games. Uh, and you know, what we do at our club is typically, you know, the cutoffs are you have your four, five, six-year-old, seven-year-olds in games that are shorter. You know, thirty minutes, maybe sometimes less. You know, depends on the attention span. Especially if you have four, you're trying to have a four-year-old at the table. Which is can be daunting, but the right game and the right game master, you know, and with some parents' help, it can be done. Uh, and then once they're hitting nine and ten, they're able to do multi-hour sessions sometimes. And then eleven up, they're usually graduating into the. If they're not stepping into asking the GM at that point, they're you know they're at least uh, uh, <coughs> playing at a higher level, playing adult games. Uh, what's important for us in our club is we don't want to talk down to any kids and treat them like kids. We we yeah. we want to bring them in as gamers and give them the respect and I think that's something that you know we do try to champion is you know our, our children are so much more capable sometimes than others think they are and only we as parents know what they're capable of and we kind of have to be their advocates for that. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. John? Um, so he was talking about a gap for 6 through 12, 13 year olds and I my weekly game is for 9 through 12 year olds. <laughs> um, so uh, I think that I agree with what everyone said that there are, you know, every kid is different and you, um, there, everyone comes not only as their like age and their educational background but their learning style and all of those things. Um, but at the same time I think that there are broadly sort of different um, concepts for what you want to be doing when you're running a game with kids for different age groups. For example, so I just ran No Thinking Evil yesterday and had two non-reader five-year-olds for the first time, which was super fun, but of course it's a little bit more sort of like, what do you think about this? Maybe this is an option. What's a cool, you know, um, let's, you know, basically like whatever they focus on, like that's what it's all about. And of course that's like kind of true for any role-playing game, but like super much. Yes, there is a pony. The pony can save the world. I don't, you know, all other logic be damned. You know? um, and so, and so that was fun. But for my tweens, you know, I, I, uh, an interesting tension is that it's always sort of like, I see my club as like an explicitly educational space, you know? Um, it is it is meant to be both fun and entertaining, um, but also we're learning about how to do this, we're learning about the social space, uh, the social contracts of it all, right? Um, and so uh, I find myself doing more like mimicking sort of the expectations I might have of adults, like James was saying, sort of, um, and leading them through the sort of steps of um, things like that. So one of the quickly one of those sort of like vectors of learning that happens over the few years I play with a kid is that they go from the space of, oh, you say I have all of the options and I can do anything I want? Well, I want to make a boat out of daggers that I have. In, I have an infinite number of daggers in my pocket and therefore I want to make a boat out of that. This is a real example, right? So, like, we're playing Dungeon World right now, so that's not really an ability, but maybe, okay, go for it. You know? But then you have to work and sort of kind of get to where, okay, really, like, we have things in there. And so it becomes a, a, an issue of sort of working with the expectations of each kid and finding, like, what tools will work, what things will work to sort of do the task. Excellent. That's really helpful. Yeah. And then, so, Carrie, you got drafted into GMing, I hear. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you want to, so did your dad ask you, like, did he, I, I heard he kind of shoehorned you into doing it. Like, <laughs> you, you don't really have a choice, right? No, he kind of just said that, you should try out game master, being a game master, and I decided, okay, I'll do that. But he kind of pushed me into it, like pushed me, like you have to do this. This is good. This is a good idea. Did he say? Did he like tell you you should be a game master because you're good at storytelling and you're a good player, or how did he like sell it to you? Do you think? What made you confident that you could try it? Just that he was confident in you? I guess so, yeah. I mean, he he always gives me, like, he always is confident in what I do, yeah. and he always tells me that I can, 
I can do these things. So, I mean, I guess the fact that, he, yeah, I am a good storyteller, according to him. And that, and, yeah, and our and players. <laughs> and um, so the fact that I can write a story real quick and I can mostly keep control of kids and everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, uh, and him being confident in me, I think that's what. Awesome. Do you have anything to add with, like, you know, so you so you got her into being a GM, and then you got Evie into being a GM. Do you have any thoughts about, like, you know, did you did you do it poorly the first time? It worked out okay? Was she the first pancake? Um, or do you have any advice, right, about how to pitch it, you know, in a way that makes it comfortable and not too stressful on the, you know, well, the game master? Well, when it came to Carrie and Evie, it wasn't whether it was stressful or not for them. My wife and I were running a club by ourselves. We need more game masters. Uh, I was hitting a point where I was having 11 to 12 people at a Numenera or a DCC table, and I, it was getting out of hand. Uh, so I was really hoping, because our age groups in the club, I really needed some people to step forward. And I can't force anyone else except for my children until, <laughs> until they're out of my house to do it. So uh, They had to help out with the family farm. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reality, really, with them is that I can see what what all three of my kids are capable of doing. And I know Carrie is so passionate about other types of storytelling mm -hmm. about, uh, she calls them her, her OC, her original characters, original creations that she You're does. Not the only one that's it. Her, <laughs> I don't know these terms. I'm 37, I'm getting old. So uh, these, these, she's so passionate about these, so I know that she can bring these stories into any game she wanted. And she, she so far, she's doing pretty good at it, I think. Cool, thank you guys so much. So Carrie, you brought up, uh, you know, part of being a GM is not just being a good storyteller, it's that you have real human beings with lots of tiny human brains going off in crazy directions and you have to manage them all and get them together and don't split the party. So um, I wanted to ask the panelists if they had, you know, any, any advice specific to, you know, managing distractions, managing, you know, sort of emotional conflicts that come up at tables um, and how you treat it differently with, um, with a table of kids than you would, you know, your friends who will forgive you and, you know, you know, your kid you have to reconcile with. You live with them, right? Your friends you can, you know, blow off steam and leave. But, um, and then uh, as a sub-question of that, so how do you manage a table with kids? You know, there's a difference between your kids and other people's kids. And so if you could tell me a little bit about that, I would, as, as I'm going to be gemming for other people's kids, I would love to know. <laughs> so, and here I'm just going to popcorn. So if you have something you're excited to say, just uh, look me in the eyes real, real hard and I'll call it. <laughs> So, um, so I um, don't have any kids. I of my own. I um, my day job is I work in a museum, and I'm sort of an art teacher. Um, and so I work with a lot of different age groups and with other people's kids all the time. But the, I think what I'm learning through running the like the the Facebook group is things like, like they they get dropped off at a comic book store and their parents leave, and like I can't send them to bed. You know, so I have to do a hefty dose of like, you know, we're gonna by the end of the day, we're gonna all get along, maybe hopefully, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I, I take a pretty strong hand with sort of things like that. I'm very explicit about, you know, uh, the social contract. I'm like, you know, we are all, you know, no matter what happens, we are all adventurers together, and we are gonna get along. And it, and when a, when a, like a real, you know, just like with adult players, yeah, uh, some exactly. like big strong thing comes up, I'm just like, and now we are voting, and this is how it works. And, but not only that, I say, you know, and. Let's all remember that we're here to play this game together. And because of that, you know, even if we vote in the way that you don't really want, you know, just remember that this is how the story is going to go forward and we can all get what we want, you know? And it helps if you, like, throw a Benny at the kid who, like, loses the vote, you know, a little bit. Just, like, sweeten the, sweeten the pain a little bit. So, yeah, I think you have to be pretty swift with it. And I, I guess it's also that, you know, I'm um, not working for my own working for uh, uh, not um, being with my own kids you know I have a different understanding of them I'm like I'm like kind of their friend yeah I'm kind of not their friend they look up to me kind of in a way that I guess is different <laughs> than parents I'm not a parent I don't know but yeah. I know sometimes oh, sorry go for it. No. Uh, I know sometimes um, with other people I know who have games a lot with children who work in museums and do this sort of things um, a lot as well is that it can sometimes also be really helpful to get the children to discuss ground rules and to lay their own ground rules mm. so that they all they all feel invested in it. They've all had a part of creating that safe atmosphere for everyone to game in. It's not just that an adult is imposing them up, those sort of rules on them, maybe like a parent does, as a parent should do, but it's so that they have a big say in how that then goes forward and what they consider acceptable behavior from everyone. That's really helpful, thank you. Yeah. What I was, uh, was going to say is, uh, uh, and, and kind of, from what John was covering there about the social contract and, and just 
working with gamers, uh, with young gamers especially, uh, as a parent, uh, you know, I don't want to, with with my children, I definitely feel different than other people's children. In some ways, usually the older kids, I should have the friend bond forming, but I have to, and I'm snapped back frequently that I am the adult in the room often, and uh, if there's something that goes awry, uh, instances of bullying, which I've seen at my tables, which may not... The kids don't really realize what they're doing, but it is my responsibility, especially if I have someone else's children at my table, to step forward and to intervene, whether it's maybe mm-hmm. someone step away from the table, which we've had to do occasionally, whether it's uh, telling players that they need to stay out of turn, which we have to go into the game occasionally and deal with that. So I, I do feel a little more stressed with other people's kids, and I often will speak to the parents to make sure they understand what the social contracts are in the games, so they know if their child has like you know, been, has been asked to step up, they're welcome to come back. Uh, but sometimes, uh, in in that instance, uh, you know, there's maybe just need to be tweaked or changed uh, in in behavior. You know, we're we're the grown-ups. We have to make sure we're protecting everyone at the table uh, from the most. And we're friends with the outrageous players. They give us a good time, and they have such a great energy. But we also have to make sure we're looking for everyone at the table, make sure everyone's having a good time. Uh, Carrie, I wanted to ask you, uh, I was wondering if, um, and feel free to move up since the, the air conditioning went on if you can't hear it, sorry. Um, I was wondering, you know, so when I'm the adult at the table, you know, I already come with some social authority. Have you found it, have you found it tricky at all to sort of, you know, be like, no, I'm in charge, I'm the GM, like, you know, we're all friends here, but but I, I have to have final say so that this goes somewhere. I, I, do you, I don't know if you've encountered that as trouble or not. Yeah, I've not really encountered it because this still is only my second year of uh, game. You've been game mastering for two years. <laughs> you should be proud. Yeah. Um, 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 I usually when I'm like running a game for maybe like a teenager that's older than me, yeah. they sometimes want to be like they want to be con- in control of like what they want to do, but I have to make sure like. I, I don't really, like, I need to make sure that they know that I am the one that is running this. They need to know that whatever they do has to, like, come by me first. Yeah. Because they can't just do whatever they with it. Whatever cool. So they you're want. just clear about it, right? Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much. Did you have a thought? Or? Um, yeah, I was thinking, so most of my experience has come from younger, the, the sort of younger set, the, the kind of seven, five to seven, five to eight kind of experience. And so that's, there. there's, for me, you know, there is that fantastic idea of the social contract explaining the rules, but then when you get sort of mid into the game, those rules have been long forgotten. Mm-hmm, <laughs> they mm-hmm. have gone out the window. And so my techniques are... Like, one of my techniques is yes and, and so the question is, can I run around the table and do this thing with my pony because I'm bored? And the answer is yes and, you have to make it part of your character. Like, and so there's, so there's a, a, an opportunity for me to say yes to these really cool creative ideas where often, you know, kids understand that they've sat at the table too long and they need to run around and, and blow off steam, and I, as the jam, understand that that's actually a better thing for them to do than to try to sit at the table and make everyone else crazy. And so my answer is yes, and, and then you need to do this thing for me. And so for me, that's one of my big tricks. Um, my other big trick is a tactile thing. It's part of the reason that we put companions in No Think You Evil and, and encourage people to bring a companion to the table, a thing that they can touch, that they can play with. Because, again, there's a sort of sense of energy we're asking them to do, sort of in a very adult thing, to sit and listen, to wait your turn. Like, there's a lot of adult expectations, even in a very simple game. And so this idea that they can have something tactile. Um, and, like, for, for kids who, have, who really need something tactile, I say, like, bring your companion made out of Legos and then you can restack because it's something that doesn't require them to stop paying attention but it gives them a place to kind of put their energy and they restack their companion um and the other thing i do is they is i i sort of force or invite i I invite um them to help me create the world so that they are they are engaged and they and they feel that feels important to them and so i say all right well we're going to go to this place what does it look like so rather than me saying here's what this looks like i say tell me what it looks like tell me who's here and what that does is as the GM, it allows me to see what they're interested in, but it also means more interaction, that they're getting a chance to tell me more of the story um, and, and to sort of, and it doesn't matter. It, like, it's like, it's a ghost on five legs, and it looks like a castle, and it's got wings, and yeah. it flies overhead. I'm like, awesome. Like, that's, I'll, I'll, make, I'll figure really out how to do yeah. that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That, 
That's that's my trick for adult players. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, I yeah. Use that with adults. We, we had an awesome version of King of Tokyo that my friend's little boy, when Ooh. he was a lot younger, and we had to play musical chairs while we were playing King of Tokyo. Um, so every time you rolled the dice, bam, you had to run around the table, and then he would yell stop, and then you grab the character that was in front of you. So that oh, was that's fun. Oh my god. Yeah, 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 yeah. Confusing, but wonderful. I need to try that. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. So in accordance with our, our beautiful social contract that we're going to create here today with this panel, I'm going to ask for a quick vote for like the other big topic that we ask all the panelists to weigh in on. Um, so there are two things that I was really curious about and that I heard other people curious about. And so one is like, you know, questions about how do you recruit, you know, how do you get kids into gaming the first time? How do you sort of, you know, get, you know, how do you like as a, you know, if you have a game uh, group, how do you advertise to kids and how do you pitch it and how do you... Um, make sure that they're feeling safe and uh, and supported there, right? And 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 possibly recruiting them into GM. So how do you get them? How do you get kids into gaming? And the other topic I'm curious about is um, sort of sensitive topics, right? When things come up, so like you know violence, right? At certain ages or with you know other people's kids, like how do you handle when something that you're not really sure if should be in this game right now with these kids when I'm not their parent? You know how do you deal with that? So can I get a vote? Um, so sensitive topics or um, recruiting, right? And so let's go for sensitive topics. Okay. And recruiting. Oh, oh man. Uh, Lightning round. Go for it. Can we talk uh, recruiting and then sensitive topics? If you have like your your one pitch of advice, like, or yeah. I will be listening to this because my friendly local gaming store are trying desperately to develop family gaming. I okay. mean, for me, because I do uh, steampunk conventions, I kind of have a captive audience, they come to me. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's not normally an issue. Cool. <clears throat> um, so I sort of inherited a group from someone else, so I don't know about the initial part. However, um, I try to pay a lot of attention to the sort of demographics of my group. Um, uh, there was a, a woman who was GMing that I inherited from, and for unshocking reasons, at least to me, many of the players were young girls. And then as I took over and was jamming, I saw a sort of slow change in that, that it was more men. And I was, and I was very um, attuned to this. So I began, I have sort of like six seats and people email me and I say like, yes, we have room, no, we don't have room. And I conduct what I call aggressive affirmative action in terms of demographics, right? So like, if I have six boys for a while, uh, it's not that late anymore, but if I have six boys and I'm like, oh, I cannot take another boy, I cannot do it, I cannot do it, I cannot do it. If a young girl walks in there, she's in, I do not care. Right, because I am trying to keep it so that so that RPGs are not only for one kind of person, right? And this is also true about social economics. In my neighborhood, there's like basically the rich kids' school where Obama's kids went, right? And then there's like the other all the other schools where all the other kids go, you know. Um, and for a while, it kind of became like the rich kids, and I was like, nope, 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 no more of this, right? So I think you just have to be like active about it if you're in a place that 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 allows for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like you know. When I, when I noticed that I needed new girls, I put up a sign that said, Hi, are you a young adventurer? And I got a friend of mine to make a picture of a girl wearing, like, with a sword, because there are a few of them. Yes. I, uh, a young girl with a sword. Are you an adventurer? Are you a girl or a gender non-conforming child? Do you want to be in a role-playing game? Call this number, right? And I put it up. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, uh, James, you started your your group, right? So what did you do to get people, get kids into gaming, or, or possibly even your kids? Well, the group started as a group for uh, for anyone, uh -huh. and the, the grown-ups came first. So my suggestion would be, if you have a friendly local game store, is to try to pitch for some bring-your-child-to-game night mm -hmm. game. That's, that's kind of the thing they're aiming for, because they've got so many people who've grown up gaming who yeah. now want to get their kids into it, but aren't quite sure how to do it. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer that there are, there are a lot of games out there that are fantastic games, and we just have a whole convention full of them here, but the best way you're going to get kids into gaming that are your own children is to be passionate and play the games that you're in love with. So if you are a Cypher System fan, play Cypher System with your kids. If you're a, a D&D fan, play that with your kids. Play something with them and your passion comes out. So if you have a, a group night at your lo local game store, at your club, whatever the game you regularly play, you know, uh, you know, bring them in. And, and that's, that's sort of what we did. It's just that we started with the parents and then we just started recruiting them younger and and bringing them in below that. So. <laughs> cool. You feel like... You nope, know, this is this is everything I know about it. <laughs> All right, well, let's have the second lightning round of sensitive topics. So, I, just any advice you could give for that, like, you know, how do you give that pause? Like, how do you, do you handle it at the table? Are there some things that you just kind of 
grit and let go, or you know, how do you handle it really sensitively? Um, so how, you know, and, and specifically, like you know, I think violence is a big one, right? Because we come from D and D, where you bash things, and so you know, there are church groups that have RPG clubs, right? I think Shannon maybe have wrote, wrote this. So like, how do you, you know, and if kids are playing, uh, sort of amping up the violence in a game where you weren't expecting that to happen, where you weren't really facilitating that, how do you scale it back? How do you talk to them about it? I I. Th- just my take is I think the parents have more trouble with the violence than the kids do about taking it seriously. Uh, you know, I play a lot of Dungeon Crawl Classics. There's a lot of monsters dying in that game. It happens very fast. A lot of player characters die in that game. It happens very fast. Uh, it's never too overly gory unless it's my kids. We have a little kind of twisted <laughs> home life, but but you know, um, you know, but for the for the most part, uh, you know, if I'm playing other kids, it's nothing as visual. It's in their heads. They don't describe it in too much detail. Uh, so I think the games, uh, it, it seems the parents will look in and be a little bit cautious. I mean, we, actually, the, the, the presence of magic has, has brought more concerns than anything oh, else, you know? So, but I've never had an interaction where a kid hasn't had a good time and the parent hasn't been cool with it at some point in time. And, and I, I, think, I think there's definitely are games in there that are more adult-oriented, you know? You probably don't want to play Lamentations of the Flame Princess <laughs> as written with children. However, I will say the rules for Lamentations of the Flame Princess broken out. They're a really great rule system for younger players. You take the art and swap it. Maybe someone can get to James Raggy and ask him that. It's really a, a great system for kids, but you can't bring that book. Don't, do not bring that book to the kids. Um, I, do you want to talk? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, again, like my dad, I really haven't had this happen to me, but for me, I'm, like, I'd like to know my age group. I know this is, like, goes back to what we were saying, but if there's younger kids, like, four, five, or six, and maybe they're possibly scared of something, I, I heard this advice a couple of days ago, ask them if they are scared of whatever the, whatever is going to come up, and if they are, maybe just change what it's called, or change what it is a little bit, and then make it so it's not scared. Let's say they're, it's a bee, and maybe someone's scared of bees, so maybe make it a giant teddy bear, because you yeah. can't be scared of a teddy bear. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I feel like the adult version of that is often the X card, right? And yeah. so, like, they're often, you know, this is this is not just a kid problem, right? Yeah. And so, if you Google the X card, it's a really cool tool, and it lets you to sit down with strangers and then not have to have a long conversation about what, what sets you off. It's just if something comes up that you're scared of or you're uncomfortable with, everybody has a little post-it note with an X on it, and they just put it in front of them, and the, the story shifts away from whatever just happened. And so, yeah, just like you said, it's, it happens for adults, too. Well, I'm going yeah. to bring Shauna's game up here because that's one of the worst things about it. It's so good. It's so good. So you have a No Think You Evil card. Every player gets one. Uh, and the GM gets one. So, like, if I see a c- kid oh, who's too scared to play their No Thank You Evil card, because there's a lot of social pressure there, yeah. right? And it's like, oh, I don't want to be the one. Like, I'll play mine. I'll be like, nope, No Thank You Evil, I'm afraid of that. And I'll turn the tables. Yeah. And that takes the pressure off of the players, because sometimes it's, it's a really scary thing to do to be the one who interrupts the flow. So they have the option. But I also try to just keep my eyes open um, and just see kind of where they're going and, and if somebody's feeling uncomfortable. Um, and for me, the, 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 most, the thing that I run into the most is people is, is kids pushing the boundaries. Yeah. What can I say? Can I swear? What's she going to do? Is that going to get me in trouble? You know, those kinds of like... And so, you know, you set the boundaries kind of early, and then you just enforce them. And for me, that's, that's a, very, um, it's a very respectful enforcement, of a reminder that while that, you know, while that might be appropriate in other places, there are younger players or there are players, and just sort of bringing it back really respectfully to the fact that they, there, there is this sort of set of expectations at the table. And, of course, the worst thing for me is I'm a huge swearer, and so, like, I, I have to be very, very, very careful, and so I'm super hyper-aware of all that other stuff. <laughs> Um, and so for me, it's really just paying attention to my players, seeing if they feel uncomfortable. Um, and, and, you know, how I describe things becomes how they describe things. So my gore is n- not gore at all. It's like, we got a Nerf gun and it pops him right in the nose, right? And so then when you talk, the language that I use is the GM leads the language that the kids use. Mm-hmm. And I think you're sort of starting out. And sure, there's a chance that it's going to escalate. But where you start is kind of where they'll stay. They'll take your cues from you. Um... I've been, like Carrie, I've been very lucky. I've not had too much of an issue, actually. One of the things with COGS is that if I'm playing it with younger um, gamers, it's because it's quite a cartoony world. You can ramp up that cartooniness, so it is purely cartoon-style violence. So there are no nasty, gory, bloody repercussions from that. And 
heroes don't really die in cogs and cakes anyway because they, they're tough you know they bounce back <laughs> yeah, they because they're around. heroes yeah. so yeah so it's it, thankfully it's never actually been an issue so go check out cogs cakes and sword sticks if you don't want to deal <laughs> <Yeah>. with it <laughs> yeah. um, I guess I'll chime in with the, the my kids are slightly older story again yeah. so um, I think that what is a sensitive subject sort of changes over as kids get older things like that so with my tweens I um, we run a, a little you know we like play up the fantasy violence but it's definitely within the realm of fantasy violence right um, uh, uh, and for, for great fun um, but also things like sexuality come up sometimes and I've had to make sort of calls sometimes like kind of on the spot about that um, you know one kid said that he you know early on in my sort of experience of this one kid said that he see there are children in here <laughs> well he said he was going he wanted to do something violent to a to a to a monster in a private part um, and I said you know what that's not really the kind of discussion where you're gonna that's not really the kind of game we're gonna play we're gonna sort of avoid those kinds of topics you know how about you can you just find some other way to to do what you want to do and you know maybe I handled it well maybe I didn't but I think it worked and, and we moved on right um, but at the other hand like what if a what if a stu- student, what if a kid wants to have a crush on an NPC? What if a crush, they want to have a crush on another player? What if they want to have a little bit more than a crush on a player? Because they're like 12, you know? Um, so, uh, and we, we worked that out. I'm going to tell you a quick story because it's hilarious. Um, uh, uh, um, okay, so you need to go find the wizard in the tower, and you go up there, but before you can get to the tower, there's actually like a wall, and there's guards, and there are two women, and their names are Lursa and Bator, and they are reptiles, and they have these big halberds, and they're not going to let you through. And a kid goes like, well, I like flirt with them. I like bat my eyes, and I'm like... And then he like starts to think about it. And he's like, uh... Can I get a little help here? <laughs> right? And I'm like, uh, That's you will have to try. You know? I was, yeah. I was like, I was like, let's see what happens. And then we'll roll for it, right? You know? And so, and so you've just gotta gotta take it when you go with it, right? Uh, and, and see and see what happens. You know? Like, of course, there's gonna be no nothing that even gets close to seeming like sexual assault or something like that in any game that I'm running with with anybody, but especially the children, right? right. Um, um, but we let them, you know, I let them play with sexuality and things like that, you know. Um, and I want to echo the thing that um, sometimes I think it's more the parents who are who are who I'm really thinking about in the room. And lastly, one of the things that I do with my group is when I get um, a new person, I make sh- I to the I very strongly require um, a parent to come and s- sit through just watch one of the sessions so that if so that if they realize like oh there's tons of fantasy violence here I'm not into that you know they can they can choose not to come back or something right that that's never actually happened so far but they see it you know and they see me in a room they see how I'm interacting with people and I think that cuts down on a lot of the worry about that awesome that's all really great advice um, so those were like I think the major points I wanted to to get across so if you guys are okay with it, why don't we uh, toss it up, up to the audience? So give it a hand raise, and we'll popcorn it. Yeah. So um, my oldest is three, um, and I'm kind of curious <coughs> as to yeah. one of the things that Sean mentioned at the beginning was that it's not necessarily a number thing; it's more of a mind space. And like, what kind of questions, or was there a resource that would help figure out what those box, where those boxes are? Uh, you know, I highly recommend the sort of standard reading levels because they aren't about ages. They are about, I mean, they're kind of categorized by ages because they kind of had to. But I think, like, when we were thinking about this game with the three levels, we were kind of tackling those those uh, reading levels because it does seem like they're not just looking at whether you can read, but they're looking at, like, how your, your comprehension of the world around you and your ability to understand, you know, things disappearing or coming back or those kinds of things. Um, and so I think, like, but I also think that um, just... just Jumping in there and trying it will teach you a lot about what they're what what kids are interested in, what they're able to comprehend. And so, if you start talking and and it goes off the rails, you can kind of pull back to the place where you're like, okay, well, this is the last place that we were actually connecting about this thing. And often, it's it's a very simple space. And there's something really rewarding to me about all right. So the first time we played this game, we only got to you have a pony and you're running around and here's the world and that's cool. And now we're like, oh, look, there's these dice and they have numbers on them. And so I, for me, I think it's a lot about 
this kind of give and take, which is really hard when you have six players mm-hmm. because you're like give and take, and you're sort of like, all right, where's everybody at? <laughs> yeah. um, and so what I do recommend is running one on one, like running yes. or one and two, and just kind of feeling out those players and feeling out what they're at. And, and if you think about it, children are, are role playing all the time you're just introducing that little bit of structure underneath. So the example I gave with the little girl who wanted to be Elsa, why not? Why not create their favourite cartoon character with them and do a little story that way as, as a one-on-one or just one or two? Yeah. Because that's a really nice way of getting them invested, getting them interested, and just steadily introducing that, that idea of a more structured way of let's pretend. Great. Uh, What's some advice that you can give for when players have uh, very conflicting views on what they want to do in a particular situation? Um, in one recent game, there was uh, one character that really wanted to rescue the pack of wild wolves, and the other ones that were like, we, we just want to kill it so we can get past and go to the, where the treasure is. And there was a big blow-up at the table on how to deal with this situation. So any advice on... Uh, when there's very conflicting views at the table of uh, where they want the story to go. I'm going to repeat that question real quick for the mic. Uh, So what do you do when you have uh, players at the table who have really conflicting views about what to do in a situation? Like this. (laughs) (laughs) Charge! Yes, so advice. My take on it is if it's going to be something that you think is going to disrupt the table, the GM makes the call on what's going to happen. And it's clearly the GM's decision. You know, especially if the age group is in the, the, the 11 and below. And, you know, I think as, as game masters with younger players, we know when this situation is not going to resolve itself. You know, we can see it coming. We can see, especially if it's split pretty easily. Yeah, we know where it's going to be in 15 minutes. And the discussion is, do we put this to, to, to bed now or we let it kind of go? And depending on the kids and the time frame, maybe they'll be able to work it out. But if you don't see it happening, you say, look, you know what, let's explore this. But leave a door open for something else. You know what? We're going to go around the dragon, but I promise when we come back, you guys can go and take that dragon and just skin it. You know, you can take it out later, you know? So, but, but to have some, and by that point, they'll forget they get the chance to kill the dragon. But that's, you know, when I've come across that, I'll make the call, because at least then I'm the bad guy, if I be the bad guy. The, the, what I try to stay away from in my games is, is to have one player make a call or a group of players, and they're against each other, because that's, especially as the kids and players get a little older, I think, in our group, it's, that's happened more frequently as they're, they're trying to, to you know, the, the dominant personalities are conflicting. Yeah. Any other thoughts, sir? Um, I have, like I said, I um, sometimes try to model democracy and do things like voting. Um, I, I, I don't do exactly what you do. I often, like, throw a troll at them. Like, ah, not, not, not the most important problem anymore. <laughs> you know? Occasionally it's like, all right, folks, we're moving on. But I try to do that infrequently. Yeah, I think, too, that, um, like you were saying, that you, can see them, you can see that coming. And, of course, you know, working together in cooperation is always my first sort of, like, let's, let's all right, so you, you want to kill, you want let, let's see how we, um, and if that is clearly not going to work, then I actually split it. And here's what I mean by that. Like, I had to, I, like, I clone a thing, like, if there's one dragon and one, buddy, one wants to kill and one wants to tame, now there are two dragons, ta-da! Um, if there's a wolf pack, now the pack splits in half, and, and you guys each get to handle that in your own way. And, and that's sort of my last resort, because really what I want is cooperation, but sometimes that's just not, that, that's just a meltdown. That, that ended up being the solution. There were three wolves, one was saved. <laughs> 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 How to keep keep a game and kind of scale like the theme and the complexity of it to deal with <coughs> kids that are kind of distant from each other. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to repeat it real quick. So, how do you uh, how do you handle a table with kids that are in different levels and in different mind spaces? Right? How do you have party cohesion and uh, have the level of complexity that works for everybody? Yeah. What are your thoughts? 
Sorry, was that me? <laughs> um, you know, so here's what I do is I give the older, more advanced players like a secret goal or a, or a bigger story arc. And so, you know, the five-year-old at the table knows that we're going to go fight the dragon. But the nine- and ten-year-old also know that there's this bigger thing that they are going to get this book that's going to advance their characters or something, right? So they all have the same goal, but the way in which they're looking at it is more complex. And so for me, that's one of my big ways. Is And sometimes it's a secret. It, it depends on the dynamic, right? Because... Um, you know, one of the things that, for No Think of Evil, we did this thing where, like, there's a there's a sim- very simple rule set for, like, the 5 to 7-ish, if you're going to talk ages, and then more complex for the 7 to 9. But what we found is, like, the 5-year-olds playing with their 9-year-old sibling, they want the complex rule set because they want it. And so they don't understand it, and so you kind of give it to them, and they grow into it. But I think that there's this sense of, like, oh, we're going to fight the dragon and get a book, and that's sort of this level. And then the second level, the higher level, the more advanced level, is, like, and here's what the book does, and here's why it's important to the history. And so they have a more complex understanding of kind of the goal and the quest. Is it's kind of how I wing that. Cool. I don't get. What we've what we've done at our table, uh, right? I mean, it's been you know twelve, ten, and six is our table at our home games. We do play games at homes, and it's been. 10, was it 10, 5, and 3? I can't do the math backwards. <laughs> but a couple years ago, we had a pretty long-running Savage Worlds last Parsec game going. It was Disney in space. You know, we like Disney somewhere. And my son, he would get distracted by the TV occasionally. want to walk off. And, you know, I still give him a full character sheet with all this stuff, but I ask him what he wants to do, and the kids would show him what to, what to roll. You know, they help him out with that. Right? right? Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> he, he, he'd say always why. say that he'd have these things when he really wouldn't but oh yeah he, like, he was wally yeah right? he's like i have a wagon and he's in space like floating around i have a wagon i'm gonna use the wagon you know with the tie fighter um you know we've mashed everything together so we we you know we, in, in our house uh, i think our children have, have grown up watching it so they, they want to see at the table he'll sit there for an hour and a half but he may not be the most interactive and that's okay uh if he's getting something out of it i'm okay with that and you know, the the rest of us at the table can can kind of continue moving forward, and, uh, and, and encouraging the elder sibling to help and support yeah, their yeah. younger sibling, because then you're also sneakily training them to be a GM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Two birds, one stone. Yeah. <laughs> Shannon. Um, I was just wondering. I don't know if any of you have any experience doing this, but um, have you guys ever um, incorporated? Um, role playing into some other group event as opposed to it being defined as a role playing game but like for instance I'm a Girl Scout leader right um, or maybe in like some other session that you're, if you I don't know if you've had experience with um, teaching art and stuff if you've kind of incorporated it into um, a, even like a larger group setting um. and um, I, I, when I was a lecturer, I was a biomedical sciences lecturer for, for quite a few years. Um, I used to do that with my 17-year-old, so it's a slightly older, yeah. older level. But um, they were doing biomedical sciences. We had a, um, a module that was all about diseases. So I borrowed the role-playing thing that they do with um, doctor's exams at home, where they have to go in, they have to grill patients to find out what's wrong with them. So I've used it at that, that, that sort of age level. Because I do, this, like I said, the steampunk conventions, what I'm doing is part of something way larger yeah, because yeah. there's all the cosplay, there's all the um, trading, there's all yeah. the tea dueling, there's all the other things going on there. So it's all part of, a, of an integrated whole, if you like, or semi-integrated whole. Yeah. Do you have any advice specifically for that? or I mean, you just... You kind of sneakily do it, right? You're yeah. Like, you know, yeah, like we're not playing no it. Yeah. That, that, that got some ideas going, just because, like, in the in the setting of like a Girl Scout mm-hmm. program, you know, you've got your badges and stuff that you're working on, so yeah. it could be another way to approach yes. doing a particular activity instead of just saying, "Okay, well, this is how you do it. Now give it a try." Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Now you've got your badge. Like um, we can, yeah. ha- you know, I'm just thinking. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly at home at least anyway if you say role playing to people they think immediately of two things one of which I'm not mentioning in this room um, and the other one is corporate training yeah. so yes you, you know you can put that spin on it for certainly something like that just to, to mix things up a bit and make it more interesting for getting the badges so they're not just 
you know, trawling through the internet looking for information, they're actually having to play being people and, and cooperating and, yeah. and find that information by talking to people. So you're developing their social skills that way and yeah. their interaction skills. Mm-hmm. That sounds really good. Um, mm-hmm. um, can I just add yeah. what it looks like? Yeah. So, so I do a lot of this in my job at the Art Museum in art teaching. Um, it, it's sort of in two ways. Um, I might, first of all, we do a lot of object work, which is sort of an improv term for like pretending you have a thing, right? What would it feel like? You know, here's this ancient Chinese vase. What do you think it would feel like if you held it? You can't touch it. Please don't touch it. But if you could, <laughs> well, uh, how would it feel? And just that, just that sort of thing is kind of a role-playing game activity, um, and that works with with little kids uh, uh, of all ages. And then um, also things like you know, if if we're trying to introduce a kid to some unknown topic, totally unknown, you know, like like um, gosh, kid, what do you know about Chinese Buddhism? Hmm? You know, like maybe they know a lot, maybe they don't. You know, um, so we might give them like you know, so the the person who made this ancient statue like lived alone in a cave way out in the woods. So like, do you want to? Let's pretend that you're a person who lives alone way out in the woods, and this other person's going to interview you about the artwork you made. Mm-hmm. Really simple. And then it just sort of gets ideas percolating and stuff, and then I add context and add gentle correction and stuff like that, and it works great. Thank you. Awesome. Yes. I'm actually really interested in developing uh, kids as game masters. Mm. So my question is kind of two-part. The first being, when they first express interest in being game masters, what kinds of advice and resources So if I could uh, say that for the thing, uh, how do you, so what resources are there available that you can point kids to when they're trying to learn to GM, or what advice would you give them directly? And then the second is, when you see something going off the rails a little bit, and you know, as as a new game master, that happened to me, you know? (laughs) So how can you, you know, either help them at that time, or sort of, you know, how do you help them, here's how how you could deal with that situation next time, right? So what what advice do you have? uh, So... I actually go back to the parent in that question usually in our game club because the parents are coming and if the child asks, I want a game master, I want to run a game at home, what, what can I play? I usually will bring the parent over and see what, sort of what's their budget. Uh, and so that question, I hate to say that, but it, you know, it's, 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 it's the reality of, of the hobbies. It can be expensive sometimes or, uh, or and, and for, for a parent, they told me $20 is expensive sometimes. So. Uh, a, a common thing is if there's a no budget at all, there are free role-playing games mm-hmm. you can find online. Basic Fantasy role-playing game was actually the first game Carrie ever ran. We ran it at our club for a while because it was just, it's a free PDF and it's a $4 down, uh, purchase on Amazon, you know? So that was a, we have several players that brought that with them because it's, it's free. When the parents start, they, when they're, so uh, when the, the parents will want to spend a more money, you know, well, what's, what's your child interested in? And, and steer them in that direction towards the game that might be, might interest them. Uh, and then if that web, if there's if there's web tools, if there's design tools, uh, we, we uh, for Dungeon Hall Classics there's a, there's a website called PurpleSorcerer.com. They can print character sheets that helps them for that. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of PDFs for Numenera and the Strange that our, our our game masters have access to. So we kind of just give them the links that they can go out to. Um, so yeah. just, but it's, it comes out of the parents. I mean, it's. Uh, we had kids that really want to play certain games, and their, their mom and dad will not buy it for yeah. them. And they'll come back and say, I still don't have it. What can you give me? I'm like, you know, I don't have the money to just outfit you all with, with, with books. I'm sorry. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Can I do one Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I haven't really had any experience. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I guess, um, you know, what, like you were, I, I saw a Twitter picture of you, like, you grabbed the Numenera book before we were co-jamming our game, and you, like, went and read it. Were there any other, like, resources you looked at, or did you just, like, sit down and just read the core book until you felt good about it, you know? Or did you, like, did you ask, did you go and ask people who read it for advice, or, you know, how did you get prepared? Um, so we were coming back from a vacation, and I... We were stuck in the car for, like, three hours. Trapped in a car. (laughs) So... (laughs) I <laughs> had the book with me. I grabbed it and I read like through all of the rules just to like refresh my myself. And then 
I read the main adventure that I was running like twice, and then I read over the different uh, key points a couple times. And usually, it, basically, as soon as I got in the room, I was like, okay, I have these characters, what accents and what yeah. all these different things am I going to give them? Cool, and there are a lot of, um, and so you are naturally good at accents. I am not. <laughs> I am terrible at voices. But there are a lot of improv games, like I would say those are good resources and they're fun, right? There's the Noisy Person cards is a new one that's like specifically made by RPGers who are improv artists to like get train you to be better at voices and things. So that'd be great for kids, I think. Um, um, there's a cat yeah. game at the moment as well where you, I can't remember which one it is because there's been a whole slew of little cat box games. It's not an RPG, but you have to sort of do the lucky cat thing to get cards and stuff. Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And again, that's going to encourage children to vocalise and, and yeah. sort of like get involved in bringing motion and things as well. Cool. Uh, I'm a big fan of co-jamming. I think that, that setting, you know, and you guys were talking about you just co-jam the other day. So if I'm co-jamming with a child or, or an, a teenager, I say, what do you like to do? What are you good at? And I start them there. So they're doing the thing that they feel most, most comfortable with, whether that's accents or I like math or I want to do this thing. Um, and so basically they have something that makes them feel really solid about the jamming thing, but they're, it, it's not just them because that's super scary. And so they get a chance to kind of focus on their thing the first time, kind of see what's happening, see, see what you're doing. And then as that progresses, you can say, all right, well, do you want to try doing this thing this time? And so the, as they take on more and more of that role, there's a point where they're like, no, I really want to do the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ta-da! Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that works for adults too, but I think for kids in particular, like like pairing them up with a GM and saying, here's, here's the thing that you're going to do and that's all you have to worry about and you're going to co-GM with me, I think it's just such a great way to, there's a lot of confidence there and a lot of success. Definitely, I think... That touches on the idea that um, GMing is not like one task. It's a set of a lot of different tasks. And I um, sometimes will sort of like work on one of those very specific tasks at a time. So um, um, sometimes, you know, maybe I'm like running a little late that day and I haven't really put any thought into like what's behind the next door or something. And sometimes I improv it out. But, um, you know, I keep some markers and some extra paper in my bag so that, uh, you know, I get there and I'm like, okay, I'm like uh, 30 seconds late. Uh, you guys, each of you, here's a piece of paper, here's the markers, design a trap. You know, just think of a trap, and um, sometime during the dungeon we're in, we'll incorporate it. Nice. You know, and that gives them this idea about, about that sort of thing. We've occasionally drawn maps, we've occasionally um, done, done all that different kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, I, I was so excited, the other day, um, just totally quirk, like, most of the group didn't show up, for reasonable reasons. And, uh, 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 and they were there. And then one of the kids said, hey, we could GM. And so these two kids GM for me. And they Yay. built the most beautiful map of keys and doors and wizards, all of it. And it was just, and it was right there. And it was great. So it's like a piecemeal process or can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, that being said, I have also been like, you want to GM? Great. Let's have coffee. Talk about it with older kids. Yeah. All just, right. Just one, uh, yeah. if you want, a, a very inexpensive way to help, one more, help kids uh, to game. Rory Story Cubes. Yes. You know? wow. Yes. <laughs> All of you, go buy them. I put together a couple weeks ago just a quick uh, adventure in a Numenera group with just the Story Cubes itself and just rolled that. You just get your kids a bunch of them and, you know, they throw that. Whenever if they're stuck, I want to do, grab three Story Cubes, throw them, and that might just trigger something. Yeah. I believe there's a free PDF and somebody that, um, Fiddleback, um, who created an RPG so we base on those astronomies. Oh, cool. oh, yeah. fun. And Rory is an absolutely wonderful man. He awesome. is so sweet. Um, I mean, it started as a, as a training tool for, old, for adults, uh, sort of developing skills. Um, and it has become such a wonderful resource for well, pretty much everybody. Yeah. Uh, and they are such a lovely company, so please do support them. Cool. So I'm so sorry. I think I should probably let these guys do their outros so you can harass them more because they're so full of delicious nuggets of information. Before you do that, yes. have you collected the ticket? Yes. Good. Right. Um, if any of you still have your ticket, uh, there's the yellow envelope back there. <laughs> Thank you for writing that. Appreciate it. Um, so uh, let people know, you know, give your plug and where, where people can find you if you want them to find you. <laughs> you don't have to. You can hide what back in the security. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So... 
You can you can find us at uh, livingforcrits the number four dot com. You can find us on uh, you look up Living for Crits on uh, on YouTube works that way too, and at I Live for Crits. And uh, if you see in my post, if you see uh, plus and G plus plus Carrie W, that's her. So it's a lot of artwork, and it's awesome. She's a done, lot of it's RPG. Yeah, she's been doing for the last three adventures I put online on my blog. She's done the cover art for them. So if you see a centa goat, a six legged goat, that was hers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I I uh, will be at the Monty Cook Games booth uh, for the next two days. Uh, we are at mm, I can't read. 19. I'm old. 1935. Um, and we're doing little 15, 20 minute demos uh, around a table with lots of cool monster pillows. So feel free to come by and have a demo of No Thank You Evil. Um, we have a few. So we did this as a Kickstarter, um, and we had a deluxe version that had like a cloth map and some really cool stickers and all that kind of stuff. We have a few of those left. Um, they're a little bit more expensive than the box set, but if that's something you're interested in, we have those as well. So. Um, the thing I want you to do is to go to Facebook <laughs> and type in RPGs for kids. Yes. And then click on it, and then join. Four number or four for the spelled out word, um, and it is there. I um, uh, I also have a business card. I can give you if you want my personal contact. Uh, um, Cogs and Cakes is published via Modiphius as a third party thing. Um, I have some cards here if people would like them. If you follow the link on the back, you can get the entire first chapter for free, uh, which is the very basic rules. It's the pick up and play. There's everything there that you need to run simple games. Um, if you want to do the character creation, that's a little bit more. Um, um, you know, you'd need the rest of it. But um, we still have a few copies left on the stand. I'm on tomorrow morning. If you come by and I'm there, I can do 10 minutes. We can do characters in 10 minutes just to run you through the process. It's that quick and that simple. Uh, so if anybody wants one of these, please grab me on the way out. Uh, and I will be more than happy to bend your ears tomorrow <laughs> if you come by and see me. Excellent. I mean, it has a lot of adventures in the back, too. So a lot of the book yeah. is like... And it, it ramps yeah. up. So you start with a very simple one, then there's a slightly more complicated one, and then there's a much more complicated one, which is more for older children, because mm -hmm. um, it's a murder mystery. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it sort of, like, takes you on and, and develops things as you go through. Thank you guys so much. Please give it a round of applause.